This is the Shanice Lewis Show, the number one podcast for plus-size women. With your host, the queen of curvy conversation, Shanice Lewis. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Shanice Lewis. Today is Monday, May 2nd, 2016. Stay connected with me in between shows on Instagram at Shanice Lewis, on Facebook at Shanice Lewis Show, and on Twitter at Shanice Show. The Shanice Lewis Show is now on Google Play Music. The app is pre-installed on all Android devices. Just search for the Shanice Lewis Show and listen. You can also subscribe there and make sure you never miss a show. And for all the iPhone users, we were always on iTunes, so no worry. You can listen and subscribe there, and please rate and comment on the show. Today we have a very special guest, Tiffany Kaling Knight. Tiffany is a fashion stylist, creative director, producer, and editor-in-chief of Scorch Magazine. With a unique upbringing in Hollywood, she has always been the big girl in a skinny world. Having interest in fashion at an early age with no real options in plus-size fashion, Tiffany started giving creative with her wardrobe and became styling early on. Fortunate to work with creative teams on movie sets, TV shows, and magazines set the pace for Tiffany's styling career. Fast forward to the present, Tiffany is now the editor-in-chief of Scorch Magazine and provides some of the most fashion-forward editorials in the plus-size industry. Tiffany truly believes that there are no apologies in fashion and no rules. Let's welcome Tiffany to the show. Hi, Tiffany. Hi. Hey, girl, hey. <laughs> Thank you for that <laughs> lovely <laughs> introduction. Well, thank you for taking the time uh, for being on the show because you don't do many interviews, do you? Is that on purpose or do you prefer to stay behind the scenes? I, you know, I don't. I do prefer to stay behind the scenes. Um, I wouldn't say I'm shy because, you know, we know each other. You know I'm not shy. But right. I'm not really big on self-promotion, which is what you kind of need, I think, in this industry. But I'm very, like, I'm going to let my work speak for itself, sit back. But, you know, I'd do anything for you, Shanice. So here I am. Well, thank you. So first, since you don't do many interviews, I want to get into your, uh, to know a little bit about you before we start talking about industry stuff. So in your intro, in your intro, I mentioned your unique upbringing in Hollywood. Now, what made it so unique? (laughs) Well, um, you'll see my last name is Kaylin, and my dad is Cato Kaylin from the OJ trial. So I right. had I had a very unusual upbringing. Uh, you know, I had to switch schools because um, I was going to a public school, and the paparazzi was hounding me at my school. And I was young. I think I was 11 or 12, maybe even younger. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to switch to a private school, and then everything kind of changed the second that he became a household name. And, um, you know, going places, people recognizing him, because his popularity was in the height of my, like, teenage years. 
So I was Mm -hmm. just starting to be like, I want my own identity. I want to look cool. Um, I was also plus size, which made it hard because I was constantly surrounded by playmates and just, you know, the beautiful people of L.A. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it it was unusual. You know, I was going to the Viper Room and all these clubs, VIP at a very young age. and um, Oh, really? Yeah. Um, you know, bumping elbows with celebrities all the time. and Now, did you know O.J. Simpson? I did. You know, so my dad lived with O.J. I was best friends with Sydney. Um, and so we were kind of inseparable when – my parents are separated, so I was with Cato every other weekend. But, you know, when I was there, I'd play with Sydney, and I knew O.J. as O.J. the dad. I mean, obviously I had no idea who the hell O.J. was as a football player because, right. you know, why would I know a football player from, what was it, the 80s? I don't know. Mm-hmm. But um, <laughs> he was, you know, I, I – I stand by what I kind of, he was nice. He was always nice to me. But again, I knew him as very, like on a very superficial level, just kind of the friend of, um, the dad of my friend. Um, now, so during the people, the, during the people versus OJ Simpson show, Chris Darden's daughter did a whole bunch of interviews and tried to capitalize off of it. Have you ever tried to use your father's name to get press or to boost your career? <laughs> no, and that's uh, maybe part of my problem of why people don't know who the heck I am. Uh, no, I don't. Um, I, I kind of, I kind of had to like step out of that life and that world. I did that at a very young age. At about seventeen, I was like, "This is not for me. This this whole L.A. schmoozy kind of who do you know." And then that whole mentality of you meet somebody for the first time and you, like, give your resume, you know, hey, I have commercial and I did this movie and I did this. I just kind of got really, like, sick and tired of that fake world. And I lost a lot of Mm -hmm. my young years. I lost a lot, like, of being a teenager and having fun and always wanting to be cool and do these cool things. And back then I was using – oh, you don't like me? Well, my dad's Cato, and I know famous people. I did use Mm -hmm. that as a defense, Mm -hmm. but my mom was great, and she put me in counseling at a very young age, and it stuck with it, so it helped me better myself as a person and build a stronger character to where I could look at that, reassess, and be like, I think I need to be a kid right now. I think I need to go hang out with my friends and that are my age and not be like, wanting to hang out with 20-year-olds at clubs and stuff. So So, how did all of this affect your body image and self-esteem? It wasn't great. It was difficult because when you're surrounded by, even, even on my mom's side, so I went to school in Orange County and everybody was kind of like a blonde beach bunny. Um, mm-hmm. and then, you know, I would go into Hollywood with Cato and everyone was like playmate body. So I never really had anybody I could associate with or 
see, you know, like a positive plus size role model. I didn't have that growing up. I was always thinking, well, it's wrong to be this size. It's wrong to be like, I know I'm big, but I think I look good. Um, Mm -hmm. And not having that. I mean, obviously you have your parents and stuff saying that you're beautiful and whatever. But when you're looking all around and you don't see any plus size cool people or whatever, it's hard. It was a hard thing um, adjusting. And I really, I really needed to be strong willed in my character. And um, that's why I think that I do like, I really love plus size fashion and I love plus size empowerment because I had such an, you know, I didn't have that growing up. And I just think if I would have had that, oh, man, that would have been awesome. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So how did you discover the plus-size community and started getting involved with it? Well, I have to be honest. It started because I found out that there were, um, like, plus-size nightclubs. And mm-hmm. I went and met a group of people um, at a club back then. It was an 18 and up club, and it was called Volupsity. And um, Mm -hmm. Lisa Garbo and Cher Rue, they used to run it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that was the first time I've ever had a group of, like, plus-size friends. And a couple of them um, did some modeling, and then I got into some modeling. And from that point, I started developing contacts, and then I was in a movie called Fat Girls with Monique, and okay, made contacts I don't remember you there. I don't remember you oh, there. Oh, right. yeah. um, I was I was hiding in the wardrobe room with all the stylists most of the time. Um, okay. And so that's that's kind of where I started and um, met other plus size women and, um, you know, started the journey of like plus size styling and fashion. And cause again, I've always, I've always dressed funky and cool and like had my own style identity. And I look back at my yearbooks and stuff and people are always making comments about my wardrobe. I was best dressed for my, for my senior year. Um, oh. and, Yeah, and that was empowering, too. I was homecoming queen, and I was best dressed, and I've always been the biggest girl. And that was in Orange County? Yeah. And I never let it stop me, you know? And that's kind of where my own personal body um, empowerment and positivity started, you know? Like in high school, just being the biggest but not letting that hold me back from anything. Now, one of your first yeah. projects was on the Fat Walk. Tell me about uh, that project. What was that about? Uh, that was just my blog that I started. You know, again, it was kind of in the wave of everybody started creating a blog. And, of course, I jumped on that bandwagon. And, uh, you know, you get enough people saying, oh, where did you, where, where is that from? Or I love, what, I love your style. So it was kind of an outlet for that and to show – I've got a unique body um, in the sense that I'm very heavy chested 
And I know mm-hmm. there's other girls like me. So showing how to dress or where to get clothes that'll fit and, you know, tips and tricks for heavy chested girls. So I created on the fat awesome. walk. Yeah. And, um, got a little momentum going with it. Um, you know, featured on Torrid and then Lane Bryant and got beca- because of the way my body looks, I had a really negative experience. And that is probably another reason that I kind of took a step out of it. Um, mm-hmm. Because I get associated with looking like a, like slutty just because of the way I'm built. So I could wear a dress that somebody with, you know, a more flat chest, would wear and because mm-hmm. I have huge boobs it just I get this you know I get slut shamed uh, so quite a bit people think you try to dress promiscuous on purpose when really you're just fitting the clothes that way naturally right you know I have cleavage in a turtleneck I just I can't help it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now you um, also started working with the plus size clothing line Domino Dollhouse. Now, is that I how you did. got started? As is that how you got started as a fashion stylist, uh, more professionally? It, yeah, um, I had done some some things here and there, um, back way back. You know, I I started styling probably in my late teens. And just doing some, like, local California stuff because there were a couple brands that, you know, were trying to take off. And there were a lot of people. There was a big movement. I don't know if you can remember um, where people were plus-size modeling a lot more. There were a lot of, like, modeling contests and, you know, little, like, calendars going around and things like that. And so I would get booked to style those. Um, In fact. I was filming a reality TV show and that's how I met Tracy from Domino Dollhouse. And they had booked me on this reality show as kind of a plus size model stylist, you know, blogger, whatever. And Tracy was styling the shoot that they were filming me doing. Um, And we hit it off and we have very similar style. And she kind of gave me my quote unquote big break and, um, I started working for her and, you know, the Domino Dollhouse brand, which is very in line with my personal styling brand. And she would give me so many great opportunities and always ask me for my input on designing collections and um, really was like a champion for my brand and, um, you know, like a mentor, really. Now, Domino Dollhouse is no longer in existing. It's, it's no longer in existence. So working so closely with this brand, how do you feel we can better support plus-size indie designers? I think um, providing yourself with knowledge is key because you see people complaining about price points. And um, I think price is the biggest factor and what people complain about, you know, you can get a dress at Forever 21 for 20 bucks, but an indie designer is going to have to charge 60, especially if they're sourcing it in LA or I'm sorry, in um, the U S 
it's just going to cost more. And you don't know these things as an outsider. You don't, you know, you need to take the time to, like, before you complain on a public forum, maybe realize that you're not, the, the designer is not trying to screw you. They're not trying to, like, you know, steal your money. It really does cost a lot as an indie designer when you don't have a sweatshop working for you. And mm-hmm. um, it, you know, to get these unique clothings and to build these patterns from scratch, that's an added cost. And to get better material, you know, because then you see, oh, this, this material is so cheap. So you, then you pay to have better material. That's an added cost. And you don't realize how it adds up. And then before you know it, to make any kind of profit, you have a $100 dress. And when I say mm-hmm. profit, I mean a very small profit margin. And then you mm-hmm. figure Tracy had me as an employee that she had to pay. And then you produce photo shoots. So you hire models, you hire makeup artists, you hire stylists, you hire, you know, the studio itself. All these costs factor into the price of the garment. Um, and so I don't think the average person knows all this. They just see well, I can get this cheaper somewhere else. Why can't you do it? Right, and but so, it's not the same yeah. quality. Right, it's not the same quality, and it's it's gonna you know it's indie designers like Tracy, like Chubby Cartwheels, um, and when I say Tracy, I mean Domino Dollhouse. They're kind of setting the bar for the trends that are coming up by these like big box stores. You know, like wow. Monique C, for example, Monique C's swimsuits. I don't know the backstory if she sold her patterns or whatever, but now you see Monique C style swimsuits everywhere. And she started that, you know, she kind of right, set the bar right. for these cool swimsuits. And now you can see them on these like cheap sites for a fraction of the price. But, you know, she spearheaded that trend right and they're ripping her off right so you know i think knowledge and you know we have the disadvantage and the advantage of social media when we can it really can make or break a business it's very frustrating and it's very almost saddening in a way when you put your heart and soul into something you put it out there and the only thing you tend to hear is the negative. Um, right, and that's, right. You know, when you're an indie designer, you're starting this up as a passion project. You're putting your life into it, your savings, whatever it may be. And, you know, I think I think in general we just need to be more supportive as a community. Um, I think we've gotten into the place where we're just always on edge and always complaining and, or picking somebody apart or saying something negative. So in general, as a community, I really think we just need to, like, reevaluate, readjust, and support. Yeah, be more supportive overall. Now, how did you get started working with Scorch Magazine and eventually becoming the editor-in-chief? Well, I think it's because I'm so awesome. Um, But really... (laughs) Jessica Kane is just this mastermind of spotting talent and giving people their shots. And um, she saw my blog, 
saw my writing and saw my styling and then, you know, looked at some of my styling for other things I did around. And um, I started out with just an editor, um, like a fashion editor for them, for Scorch. Um, Well, actually, I started out by just by submitting pictures for the magazine. Um, And then, you know, she sees stuff in people. You know, she saw stuff in tests before Tess became Tess and Nadia before Nadia became Nadia. Um, She's really great at, like, seeing the it factor in people. And I'm not saying I have the it factor, but Mm -hmm. I think she saw that the potential of running this plus-size fashion magazine in me and that the market needed something a little bit more left of center as far as fashion goes, something more for the, like, alternative indie girl. And that's kind of my specialty, you know. Um, So she gave me my big break or my big shot. And it was kind of like starting from the bottom and then working my way up and working my way up and working my way up. And then all of a sudden I became, um, there was some changeover at the top and I was given the opportunity and it stuck for about, I think it's about four and a half years now. Mm -hmm. Now, Scorch Magazine has some of the most fashion-forward editorials in the plus-size industry. Now, is that your influence as a fashion stylist, and do you think that's something that's lacking overall in plus-size fashion? Um, Yes and yes. Uh, I think we're, as a plus-size woman, you're kind of programmed to think dress flattering and dress dress for your curves, dress for this, dress for that. And I'm like, take that all away, dress how you want to dress. And for my particular style, I dress, you know, one day I'll be boho, one day I'll be more like goth, one day I don't really follow a fashion guideline. And I think that benefits the styling world because I'm able to go up to a photo shoot and have a really, like, no rules approach. You know, I've done um, a cool shoot with, uh, a model, her name's India, and she was in uh, Taketi with some really cool harnesses, and she had a little fashion boob showing, and you know stuff that that looks really cool and really high fashion. And I get a great group of people that I work with. Um, I work with Nicole Alex a lot as the photographer, and she totally like always sees my vision and has great input on set, and we just. I think we banged up some really cool. Source magazine that came out really nice. Yes, that's right. Yeah, it was beautiful. You know, just and we took like for instance for our shoot that we did, we took a you know a simple concept and elevated it with the hair and the makeup and you know having the cool jewelry placement. um, When you can tend to get in that kind of safer box which I don't like to mm-hmm. do. I like to kind of think outside of the box. And I I read a lot of magazines. I look at a lot of fashion editorials. I still look at YouTube and, like, watch runway shows from the 90s. I'm obsessed with this YouTube channel that, like, has, you know, back when we had all the, like, supermodels and watching that kind of stuff. So I'm constantly um, inspired every day and – there's no reason that that can't be produced on a plus size body. And I'm not talking like, I really like working with size 20 and 20 plus. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now why is that so important to you? 
because I think it's I think we see less than a size twenty enough. Um, right. And I would you know I know the average size woman is a size fourteen, but for me personally, I want to know how the clothes are going to look on a body more similar to my body. And to mm-hmm. see what I can do with something, you know, like a just take a black dress and then see how I can transform it with accessories and styling. And um, I don't know that that's done a lot. And I hear, you know, competitors talking about doing it a lot. But I like to put um, – I like to put it into action. And I think – I think the more you do it, the more we're going to see it mainstream. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, Tess is a great example of having mainstream success as a size 22 plus. So Mm -hmm. we just need to see more of it, you know. Now, how do you go about selecting your models for the cover and the editorials in the magazine? Um, It varies. So the issue we're going to have coming out, um, we're going to have a size 26 on the cover, and she's also African-American and just, like, jaw-droppingly beautiful. I mean, the second I met her at a – I had an event with Tess and Amina. Um, Mm -hmm. The second I met her, I was like, you need to be my cover. And I was just inspired by the way she looked. But a lot of times I'll kind of come up with an idea for the cover and that'll come, that'll be the vibe of the magazine. Um, so we had a whole 90s issue and I knew this clueless shoot was going to be a big deal. So knowing, knowing how the theme of the magazine and then basing the cover off of that and then coming up with who's best suited for the style of editorial. So I knew Kelsey would be an amazing Alicia Silverstone. I mean, because she, A, she already looks like her. And then I also knew that right. Dickerson, you know, would be a great D, because, again, she already looks like her. They're all local. Right. And then Tess would be a great tie. So, it, you know, it just kind of was, like, the perfect cast. And then I also so, get a lot and of, that's like, important to say, too, the majority of your photo shoots are based in L.A., right? Yes, yes. So occasionally we'll get um, people that submit editorials and or I'll produce it abroad. So we had um, Danny Veneer and Callie Thorpe and Georgina as our cover. And so I kind of virtually styled and produced that from the U.S., even though it was shot in the U.K. Um, and then we used to work with um, Chelsea in Canada, and she produced some really cool – photo shoots, really, really cool, very in line with the Scorch brand. Um, and we had one where the girl, the model, um, had a unibrow, and people went nuts over that, like nuts, like, how did you do this? But it just looked really cool, oh. and, like really high fashion. Um, so, again, breaking the rules, you know, not putting just, like, prettiness, just kind of, like, just it's about fashion, you know. Right, and you even used a male on your cover before. I've used two males. I used Delta Work from Drag Race and Patrick Starr. 
Yeah, so you are really believing in diversity at Scorch Magazine. Absolutely. I think everybody has the right to see fashion and everybody has the right to kind of wear what they want. And, you know, Patrick's a huge star now, you know. He's got this huge network and having his plus size followers kind of see him in this light it was a re- like really positive feedback and you know from that he didn't even know there were clothes that existed for him because of yeah. the you know oh there's only Tord, there's only Lane Bryant and there's nothing wrong with those options but he didn't know that you could get this level of fashion in the plus size community. So it's still kind of beaten out of us that, you know, we have to dress a certain way. Now I want to talk to you a little about online bullying. Um, Because I know your pictures have been stolen and used in memes before that um, were, you know, mean. So how did you deal with that? Did you say online bullying? Yes. Yes. Uh, I know I should care more, but I, I'll, I'll tell you what makes me more sad is when other plus-size women gang up on other plus-size women and they project their insecurities on women that don't have those insecurities. I think that gets to me more than, you know, somebody just being a jerk because that's going to happen no matter what. I mean, plus size or not, people are going to be mean and nasty. But when you're in a similar situation and you, you know, wherever you live and you think this should be one way, you know, like I can't wear stripes because I know it makes me look bigger but I see this girl, she's wearing stripes, she looks bigger, I'm going to be really mean to her for that. That's the part that gets to me. And I know it's insecurity, and I know I'm sure in some way it's jealousy, and I wish that those things wouldn't come to the surface so much and that they could just take it and see, oh, well, maybe I can be inspired by this and change the way I think as opposed to being so close-minded. So, so I feel you say, I just feel kind of sad for people, but so it doesn't you really. So when say there's bullying in the plus community, I thought you meant maybe like people that know each other that try to cut each other down, but you mean comments online, or really both, both. probably. Both, yeah, absolutely <laughs> both. I mean, I've had a lot of um, slack because I'm friends with Tess, and there's a big group of people that don't like her and you're kind of mm-hmm. guilty by association. Um, and I was called some things and, um, you know, there were words exchanged and things like that. Uh, and that's, that's the kind of thing that I, instead of taking two seconds and passing over it, it takes me a little bit to get over it where I'm like, this makes me a little bit sad. That but you it's never kind really of come to this. anything publicly, right? Um, not normally. There's a few times where I've been like, "All right, I'm saying something," and it's just kind of benefit anything, you know, because people 
people that take things that far, they're so far into their mindset. You could make the most sense as possible. It won't make a difference. They, they believe what they want to believe and they have the feelings. And if, if they're justified or if they're not justified, there's no changing the way they think. And, you know, I have made the mistake of getting involved like one or two times. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, and you that live just escalates it, probably. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yes. So now I'm kind of on the hit list, and I'm sure this will be brought up. Um, you know, I'll get have some kind of post dedicated to what a jerk I am. But you know, what are you gonna do? People are gonna do what they want to do, and you decide. Well, and that kind of comes with being in the public spotlight. The more known you are, some of this is to be expected, don't you think? I agree. You have Absolutely. Kind of experience with this from your father. Uh, yeah, yeah. I but you know it isn't. It hasn't really been until this the people versus OJ that this has kind of become a big deal again. And I don't really mm-hmm. publicize that he's my father. So, okay. you know, people ask me, I'll tell them, but it's not like, I'm not like, hey, I'm Tiffany and my dad's Cato. Um, so, so it's a totally no, different Yeah, absolutely. And and I don't, the, the thing that I don't like about having kind of the past that I've had and my dad being who he is, is I I want every interaction and every person that I have in my life to be a genuine one. And I never want to have that fear like, well, they only like me because of this. Or mm-hmm. um, they only want to get to know me because of this. And I'm pretty good at the, um, I don't know, can I say the S word on here? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> I'm pretty good with the bullshit detector. And you can kind of tell right away because it's something I've been dealing with my whole life. But now that it's kind of like circling back a little bit and a little bit more um, popular because of that show, Mm -hmm. I, you know, it it seems to be like I I do notice a little bit more of the bullshit coming out. (laughs) Well, well, thank you for being honest and open uh, about it. I, I think we we really learned a lot about you. Now, do you have anything else um, coming up we need to go on the lookout for? I know you said a new Scorch magazine is coming up. Anything yep, else? Yep, a new Scorch is coming up. Um, Patrick has some cool appearances that I've been dressing him for. I just picked up a new client that I'll announce soon for styling who's a really big deal and I'm excited to get my hands on her um and I just have to say that I'm really I'm really proud of the fashion world with plus size clothing lately I've been so impressed by companies like Torrid and even Lane Bryant with Christian Siriano's collection and I know J.C. Penney's doing some cool stuff with Ashley Nell Tipton. And I really think that we're, the, the culture of fashion is kind of changing. And um, it's getting better and it's getting more on trend. And, 
you know, a lot of those walls are being broken down, and I'm really, really happy. And I think it has to do with the strong community that we do have in place, um, you know, like Ashley winning Project Runway and, you know, Tess becoming mainstream um, and Rebel Wilson doing a collection. It's just I think everything is getting better, and I'm I'm really happy because I remember never being able to find anything when I was shopping to now being like, yeah. oh, my God, take my credit card away. You're so, right, right. you know, <laughs> I think I, I just wanted to publicly say that I'm, I'm proud of, of these companies and, um, you know, and the indie, indie fashion, which is my, you know, root and my bloodline. I, I'm just, I'm just happy with the way things are going, at least in the fashion world. Well, awesome. So tell us your official websites and social media um, pages so we can keep up with everything you have going on. Sure. Um, the best place is scorchmagazine.com for my kind of, because it's my my baby, you know, that's the best place. And then my Instagram is at Tiffany Kalen, and that's K-A-E-L-A-N. And then, of course, at Scorch Magazine. Um, so, yeah, I'm super easy to find. Well, thank you so much for being on the show and giving me a, a rare interview <laughs> with you. <laughs> I think it was awesome. Thank you so much, and great job, and hopefully I'll see you again soon. Yes, definitely. When I come back to L.A., we'll have to do something. Absolutely. I look forward to it. All right. Enjoy the rest of your evening. Thank you. You as well. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. And thank you to my fabulous guest this evening, Tiffany. And if you haven't already, don't forget to like our fan page on Facebook at facebook.com slash Shanice Lewis Show. I've been your host this evening, Shanice Lewis. Thank you for tuning in and supporting. Until next time, keep thriving in your curves and be blessed. You've been listening to the Shanice Lewis Show. For more info about the show, visit ShaniceLewisShow.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.